Hello and welcome everyone to A Reason for Hope once again. We're very glad that you're joining us today. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is dedicated to your questions on the Bible. Although we have a special show today, we're going to be talking about Christian parenting. So if you have questions on Christian parenting, you're welcome to send those into us and we will be uh, getting to those questions later on our show today. My name is Dave Robson. I will be your host and fielding those questions as they come on in. And we have a special guest today, but first let's introduce our regular, Peter Martin. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's good to see you, pastor and counselor and author and uh, cyclist and many... Amateur woodworker. Amateur woodworker. <laughs> Definitely I do am. yo-yo pretty good today. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's yet to be seen. Um, but over here to my left, you're right, we have our special guest, Lisa Keller. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Lisa Keller is a licensed biblical counselor. That, would that be the best way to describe it? Well, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and oh. then I'm also a biblical counselor. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, excuse me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm really I'm excited uh, that you guys are here. Um, in case you don't know, uh, Lisa and Peter handle a lot of the counseling here at the church and beyond as well. Mm -hmm. I've personally benefited from that over the years. So, Lisa, especially, thank you for making the time to be here, and we're excited to. Yeah. talk with you glad to be here we're glad you're here we're going to be talking like i said about christian uh, parenting so if you have questions on christian parenting you can send those into our usual channels and we will get to those like i say later in the show so as i mentioned the reason for hope um is a live broadcast it's with you monday through friday from 5 to 6 p.m mountain standard time or wherever that is for you all around the world. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us, uh, it will help you to find us on the various channels. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that watch live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. You'll see the video of us live and you can sign in with a username and be part of the broadcast there. Like I say, I'll be filled in all your chat there. You can send in questions. When we're offline, you'll see that countdown there. You'll see um, a schedule of upcoming events, not only a reason for hope, but also services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and other events that we have. So that's a great page to go to. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church or go to calvarychristianfellowship.com and again, follow the Watch Live tab. That's a great home base for you there. Of course, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash ccftucson or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's uh, so another way you can send in uh, the questions. And don't forget to like and share around. We'd love to reach out to your friends and your sphere of influence as well and just have a further reach. So if you've been blessed by this ministry, share us around. If you haven't, then don't. Be that way. That's fine. Uh, we also have a app for your mobile device, whether that's iPhone or Android. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, you can download the app. It's that red background with the white uh, Calvary Chapel Dove logo. Uh, also on Roku and Apple TV, we have a channel on there as well. So if you have a smart TV or one of those devices, you can download our channel and watch us on the big screen as well. And why wouldn't you want to see us on the big screen? How exciting for you and the family and the pets. Uh, we're on YouTube, of course, youtube.com slash at a reason for hope 546. But don't type that in. Just search for a reason for hope and you will find us. That's a great place to go to see archive shows. If you miss one or if you'd like to recap one of the shows, follow that live tab. And anytime we've been live, it will be archived right there for you. So a reason for hope on YouTube. Our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards, is on Twitter. That's Scott R4H. Um, so follow along with him. He's with us usually Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays on the show. But on Twitter, he posts highlights from the show. He posts commentary on 
news events and world events from like a prophetic biblical standpoint. It's very interesting and fascinating and funny even to follow along with Pastor Scott. So do that if you're a Twitter kind of person. Uh, a newer thing that we've added, a Rumble. I'm not too familiar with this, uh, this uh, platform, but uh, Pastor Sean set this up. Our archives will be posted on Rumble as well. So if you're boycotting one of the other platforms, Rumble is a place to go, um, which kind of handle you know, censorship and things like that a bit better. Um, so again, Rumble, if you're on Rumble, look for us, A Reason for Hope, Bible Q and A. And last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address, questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. If you listen to us on the radio, you'll want to use that email address because you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So you're kind of a day behind, so to speak. But questionsforhope at gmail.com, send us your questions there and we will get to those on our next show and maybe consider joining us on one of those live platforms when you can. With all that being said, nailed it. Nailed it. Um, and once again, uh, we are talking about Christian parenting today. We're, we're very excited to have Lisa Keller and Peter Martin with us. So if you have any questions on biblical um, uh, Christian parenting, biblical parenting, I guess you could say, to, do send those in and we'll get to those later on the show as well. So we'll try and kind of stay on topic today. But um, Lisa, would you like to pray for us as sure. we go into the show? Of course, we like to pray and seek the Lord before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you so much for this um, ability to speak about your children. Uh, Lord, we pray that all that we say and all that we do honors and glorifies you and lines up with your word. Uh, Lord, uh, we ask that uh, you send us the power of your Holy Spirit uh, so that we don't attempt to do this on our own, but it is all of you. And we thank you for those who are watching. Um, we pray that it would edify and help them as well. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah, like you said, Dave, I'm very excited to have Lisa in with us. Uh, me and Lisa have worked together for almost a decade now. Have you really? People, yeah. Since you were just a baby. Just a little kid. Yeah. Just uh, you know, a little wow. baby 22-year-old, you know, <laughs> running around. Giving people advice I wasn't qualified to give, <laughs> and people foolish enough to listen to me. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's actually been longer, yeah, than a decade, be. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of nuts. So uh, we've been talking about the various philosophers and big thinkers who have led our culture, right, Western culture, to the moment that we're at right now, uh, where secularism and atheism is on the rise, and Christianity is pushed more and more to the fringes, and so the first thinker we've been looking at is a guy named Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he is the father, if you want to put it that way, of a lot of the modern left's ideologies and thinking. Um, and so we've talked a little bit about his political ideology, his philosophy for life. And today I thought it'd be cool to go over his philosophy for raising children. Because you'll hear uh, in his philosophy, a lot of parents today follow his lead, right? They actually believe that what he said was true and they orient their parenting styles to his view of reality as opposed to the Bible. So we're going to try to show how his views are against or antithetical to the scripture and to <clears throat> reveal a little bit better of a platform for parents addressing their kids, especially in the interesting times that we live in. And since I have a two-year-old and a uh, four-month-old, I'm not exactly an expert at parenting. I'm still mm -hmm. a novice. I thought it'd be good mm -hmm. to have someone in here who is not only a mom, but also a mom who has Four kids, right? Mm -hmm. Four kids, all adults. You know, you got a little bit of years under your belt. You know, so hopefully you'll be able to give us Careful. some good wisdom here and 
Yeah. Dave is here as well. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Years of parenting under your belt. <laughs> and then Dave is also here. He has two wonderful children as well, That's London true. and Carrie Ed. And well, one wonderful child. Well, you know, you know, his inner child and <laughs> two disappointments <laughs> came out of his life. Uh, but anyway, you know, so Dave, has, uh, what are your kids' ages again? Um, they're almost 13 and almost 15. Oh, wow. Yeah, they've got birthdays coming up. So, yeah, one barely preteen and then teenager yeah yeah that's pretty awesome so yeah. uh hopefully there will be a lot of good wisdom going around this table right now but i, I wanted to hone in on, on three quotes that he had because he gives a vision of the purpose of parenting and ways to institute it both through discipline and through education and i thought it'd be good for us as believers as people who believe in the bible to recognize that just because you're a christian and just because you've grown up in the church doesn't necessarily mean that you're deriving your beliefs about parenting from the bible you might mm -hmm. be getting them from the culture, and the culture's mm -hmm. influenced by guys like Rousseau. So we need to be very <clears throat> cautious about what we think about parenting. So this is from his book. He wrote a book called Emile, which is essentially a parenting book in the 1700s. And this is one of the quotes that he has. There is only one man who gets his own way, he who can get it single-handed. Therefore, freedom, not power, is the greatest good. Think about that for a second. He's saying being free, being liberated, is the greatest good, it's the greatest thing that you can achieve in life. That man is truly free who desires what he is able to perform and does what he desires. This is my fundamental maxim. Apply it to childhood and all the rules of education will spring from it. So this is philosophy in a nutshell. We are innately good. He did not believe in original sin. He did not believe in a fallen nature of mankind. So therefore all of our innate or natural <clears throat> desires are by default, correct. Those are the correct things you ought to do. And so society and parents come in and they restrict their children from doing what they want and they socialize them. But by socializing them, they're depriving them of their natural identity. And by doing that, they're corrupting them and making them worse versions of themselves. So the way that we correct that is by raising our children not to be who we want them to be, but to be who they are innately sounds kind of familiar to our modern day, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Right. This is a quote given last week from the Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan as they passed a bill in Minnesota last week, those of you guys who don't know, who that makes Minnesota a sanctuary state for gender, uh, gender affirming care, as they call it. So this, mm -hmm. is, this means that a parent can drive their child up to Minnesota in order to get gender surgeries, right? Actual castration of boys, mastectomies for girls, things like that, phalloplasties for girls, as well as mm -hmm. drugs that would chemically castrate or neuter boys. They can get those without the other parent's consent. They could just drive up, get it, and then drive wow. back down. And that's what Minnesota's opened themselves up to do. In order to champion this bill, this is what Peggy Flanagan said. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. That's what it means to be a parent. So your, your kid tells you who they are. You're not supposed to tell your kid who they are. Your kid tells you who they are, and you listen and affirm everything that they're wanting to do because that's what a good parent does. So pass this over to you, mm -hmm. Lisa. From a biblical perspective, number one, is this correct? And if it's not correct, what should be the goal of a Christian parent when they're raising their child? It's a good goal. Yeah, I know that you and I have briefly talked about this. So... Um, when we look at scripture, and, and you brought up one of the verses, 
and and that is we're to train up a child a, a child in the way that they should go. And so when we look at what what the Bible says, it's to be we're we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. And so if we're to do that, how how do we love God? How do we train up our kids to love God? Mm. Now, is it based on their feelings? Is it based on our feelings? Mm. Or is it based on some some standards? Mm. So I would say that as you and I were talking about, that we that we should, you know, listen to our kids and they 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 would have feelings. But if our kids say, Hey, I can jump off that building, mm. I, I believe I can. Do we let them, according to Rousseau, would we let them do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would. <laughs> so Rousseau, he, he had a couple yeah. practical parenting tips. So one okay. was, uh, you could kind of see his <clears throat> philosophy in these as well. Okay. So swaddling a child, should you swaddle a child? He actually has a chapter about swaddling. Yeah. And he says no, because he says swaddling a child prevents them from moving in the ways that they want. Now, as a parent, I'm a relatively young parent. Sure. But... There is a reason why you swaddle your child, right? The reason why you swaddle your child is because they don't have the instinct that you and I have that when we sleep, I don't know if you've ever jolted yeah. yourself awake, right. Yeah. right? That's because your body naturally is supposed to paralyze you so that your mind can imagine things in dream that you don't act out in your body. Yeah. Babies don't have that. So if you don't constrain them, if you don't swaddle them, they'll jolt themselves awake and then you won't get a lot of sleep as a parent. So, yeah. But Rousseau is saying, well, you're preventing them from doing what they want. So therefore you're disabling their autonomy. You're disabling their freedom. The other one was walking. Should you help your child to walk? Mm -hmm. And his answer was no. You should just leave them in a field and they'll just figure it out on their own through falling and figuring it out in natural ways. So if your child, from his perspective, if your child said, hey, I want to jump off a building, he might let them. He might take them to a smaller building so they wouldn't die, but he might let them fulfill that desire because he believes that their innate desire is always best. So you shouldn't train them like, hey, this is dangerous. Right, this is bad. Yeah, this is bad, and or don't stick that in the socket because right. that's bad. Right. You should let them stick up, not a paper clip, <laughs> but maybe a stick into the socket. Right. Let them do whatever they want yeah. to do because that's what's innately good. And then they'll learn from natural consequences. Well, the Bible says we're not innately good. Right. So it, that's definitely at odds. And you can see kids... From the beginning, when they're when they're young, you don't have to tell them to be selfish. Right. They just are. Right. So he would say, let them be selfish. Don't give them any parenting. And how do you if if you train them to go ahead and be get what they want? How do you, how do we expect later on for them to be anything but selfish? Well, his view is that self love is actually the greatest good. That being someone who loves yourself is the thing that's going to make you a good person. Because if I'm loving myself perfectly and you're loving yourself perfectly. There's no need for charity because we're both taking care of our own needs. It's a society that prefers the benefit of another that's wrong. That's a bad society, right? So you can see, again, our con modern concept of self-love right. comes from this guy. Well, and, and, and that, again, goes against what the Bible says to be selfless, right. to look to others' needs before yours. Right. So if we were all, if we just look at, if we were all selfish and then I could say, well, you have that and I want that, therefore I'm going to take it. Mm. Absolutely. That would be self-love. Right. So I don't know. I mean, how would he handle that? So he would say, well, might makes right. 
So if you could overpower wow. me and take it, then you should have it. <laughs> That's just kind of his idea. That's kind of scary, Lord of the a, Flies. Yeah, he had a very yeah. egalitarian view of society as well, that we should all just kind of uh, live off of the land and not really have a, a modern infrastructure or anything like that. But we, Should we not own anything? Is that Does that come from him as he well? He said that private property is the source of all evil. Okay. So yeah, he, he disagreed in the idea of private property. Now... Interestingly, this is my own personal definition. Uh, so I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, and I want to throw this out to you guys okay. and see if you disagree or agree with me. So when I thought about what's my goal for parenting, right? what am I trying to ultimately achieve with my kids? Um, so there's the ideal of obviously I want them to walk with the Lord. But a lot of that is predicated on their own will and their own decision making. So that can't be an ultimate goal for my parenting. So yeah. what I said is, the ultimate goal for my parenting is that I would, by example and by instruction, train up my children to be able, qualified, and capable of honoring God, right? doesn't mean they'll do it. It just means that I want them to be able and capable of doing it, right? That they would understand what it is intellectually and that they would know how to do it practically. That would be my ideal, right? That would be my goal in parenting. What, what do you guys think about that goal? Do you think that's a good goal for parents to have? Or I totally I totally agree with that. I would just add that you would be an example of loving God well. Hmm. So yeah. I think like you can make them capable and show them how, but you also have to be an example of that. Not a perfect example, but admitting your faults and, yeah. and loving God in a way um, that they see that because kids are also little mimickers, you yeah. know, of what you do. So mm -hmm. if you, I would just add that. I think you, that's well put. You want to train them how to do it and, um, and show them that, but also you be the example. No, I think that's really great because before the show we were talking about the alternative to Rousseau, right? The yeah. other toxic parenting style. So there's the liberal one. It's yeah. just let your kid do whatever they want. They know what's best for them. And then there's kind of the ultra-conservative, authoritarian, kind of fascistic mm. type of parenting where it's, I am going to tell you exactly what you're going to become, and you have no say in the matter. I'm not going to listen to your desires or preferences. You're going to become a, a copy. You're going to force you into a mold that I've predetermined, right. and you have no say in the matter. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to grow you as an individual. I am simply going to make you into what I want. Right. right? Um, and that would also entail me not having the responsibility and accountability of being an example to my child because it's sufficient just to tell them. It's not, it's not necessary for me to show them, mm. right? This would be the authoritarian kind of kingly message where Jesus, when he talks about leading in any capacity, he talks about doing it in meekness and humility, right. which means that I'm not leading someone as an authoritarian. I'm going to tell you exactly mm -hmm. what you should do and you have to listen to me emphatically, but it's. I am doing my best to follow the guidance and instructions of God, and I'm going to teach you how to do that. It's your responsibility to either listen or deny my advice, but I want to show you, exemplify, the goodness of God, but I also want to teach you about it. And that also entails repentance when I fail. And also, I'm not going to just teach you, but there's times when I, you are going to do what I say. Yeah. So... Like, it's not up to you always just to decide. Like, I, I mean, it's up to you to decide whether to have a relationship with Jesus, but right. it's not up to you to decide whether or not to obey me. And that leads to another interesting and very good conversation of the differences of parenting style as the child's age changes, mm -hmm. right? So what would be appropriate for a five-year-old would yeah. be very inappropriate for a 25-year-old. Absolutely. So like, yeah. if, if my daughter came up to me today and said, hey, dad, could I watch TV? And I was like, why are you asking me? You know, do what you will. 
Mm-hmm. But if your son, Christian, who I know pretty well, called you up and said, hey, mom, is it okay if I watch TV? You'd be like, yeah. what, what is, like, what is, what is happening yeah. in your life? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know the answer. To that. Right. Like, do as you, like, you need to What be is he, 25? Yeah. How, how old is your son? Yeah, he's 24. 24. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he, when he, you he, turn 25, then you can watch yeah. TV. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then interestingly for your kids, yeah. they're kind of in that transitionary period. Yeah. Where they're not totally adherent. You're wanting to raise them up to be independent and make decisions for themselves. Yeah. But they're still under your roof. Yeah. And so you have to balance that. How's that process for you? Oh, it's, I'm right. I mean, literally right there in the middle of that, that Mm. transition and figuring out, you know, what is, where can I say, no, this is what we're doing. And where do I say that's up to you? Like, I feel like I'm right there in the, it's a new season, a season of parenting. Really, I've been saying that a lot just this last even six months. Like, wow, this is, this is new. And of course their age now, as they start to, become adults and hormones and desires and things like that, you know, pray for me. It's right. Well, and it's our job to help transition them to make those decisions and also allow them to fail. Yeah. Because this is a perfect time when you can train them. He'd probably disagree with this, but train yeah. train them um, how to handle those failures. So it was really mm. interesting to watch me as I trained them in high school and to let go of some of that, especially as a mother, Letting go of some of that ability to to also, you know, given like my history, like wanting to make sure they're not going down a dysfunctional road. Mm. So I wanted to make sure that. And so like having to pull back and say, you know, like I need to allow them to become the adults. Otherwise, they'd be dependent on me and mm. living in the basement, although I don't have a basement. Yeah. But um, <laughs> right. So um like, and the transition happens even more in high school and then even more in college. Because mm. college is very different, especially if they don't live at home. My kids right. went away. And so what does that look like? Because yeah. you're still footing all the bill. Well, we were. Yeah. And um, so you have some say, yeah. but you know you shouldn't have all the say. Right. Yeah. Um, they need to be making mistakes and yeah. hopefully they come to you with those. But yeah, it does Which look different. Really interesting. It kind of leads into his next quote. Uh, so he calls children scholars. And he says, give your scholar no verbal lessons. He should be taught by experience alone. Never punish him, for he does not know what it is to do wrong. Never make him say, forgive me, for he does not know how to do you wrong. Wholly unmoral is his actions. He could do nothing morally wrong, and he deserves neither punishment nor reproof. Now that quote, I believe, has really permeated the church, where a lot of parents, a lot of Christian parents, believe that. They're like, well, the worst thing I could do for my child is to shame them. And so I shouldn't correct, I shouldn't punish them, I shouldn't discipline them. I should just kind of allow them to, to work it out on their own, right? To, to mm. allow them to learn from their natural consequences. So we're going to talk a little bit about the phases again, about what kind of punishment is right for different phases of childhood. But one thing I want to bring up before we get into that yeah. is it sounds like what you're saying is ultimately what you want to have happen is for your role as a disciplinarian, as a parent, to be receding as time goes and then they are learning from those natural consequences absolutely right but he's saying that should take place throughout their entire life you should never step in with discipline so we'll talk a little bit about what kind of discipline is appropriate why we do it and things like that but another little addendum i'll I'll make before we launch into that conversation which i find really fascinating is when he's talking about never saying forgive me right never apologizing for a wrong that you've done he seems to be really engaging with that fallacy that the worst thing I could do is demolish my child's self-esteem 
and punishment and reproof might do that. So he, again, thinks that your child having high self-esteem is really what's best for them and how they're going to be enabled to do what's, what's going to be beneficial for the rest of their life. Uh, now, biblically, again, we, we don't really see that, but right. what is the role of discipline in parenting? Like, what, Why do we do it? Why don't we just let our kids learn from natural consequences? Well, if we if we allow them, sometimes we do allow them to, to natural consequences, but it's really to keep them safe, mm. for them to feel secure, for them to know that you love them. Because as kids that have not been disciplined, that parents did not do any form of discipline or weren't consistent with that discipline, they don't feel loved. They don't mm -hmm. feel safe. Now, you can go overboard, as you were speaking about, where you're just a total disciplinary. It has to be done in love because, I mean, the Bible does talk about, like, Kids will be foolish if, in Proverbs, if you do not discipline them. Right. They need your help in that. And they, they need to know that you care enough to do something that's difficult. Hmm. We just need to do it where it's not, we're not talking about abuse here. Right. But what, what, what you're saying, Rousseau, makes it sound like <clears throat> shame, any discipline is shame, and that's not correct. Hmm. So... Shame, you, we can shame kids if we start attacking their character and calling them names and those kinds of things. But if we discipline them, that's not shame. That's helping them to develop a natural guilt. Hmm. We want natural guilt. That's like you're quenching the Holy Spirit if you don't allow them to have natural guilt. Hmm. And you sometimes you have to train them that way. You have to teach them, even if they do not you know, feel like saying, will you forgive me? You have to teach them to say it anyway. Right. Because do people naturally want to humble themselves? Absolutely mm. not. Mm. I mean, I don't. Do you? Yeah. No. <laughs> so we, but so we have to train them to do that. Mm. Yeah, and and a lot of the counseling that you and I partake in, and I, I made this comment to you, I think like a year ago, where mm. I thought it was interesting when I was studying like mental disorders and things like that, and and <clears throat> various types of toxic behaviors that people develop over time. I said it's almost indistinguishable, like anyone that you can think of is almost indistinguishable from behavior that would be totally normal as a toddler. It's just people never grew out of it. Mm. Right? So if you take like really extreme mental disorders like narcissistic personality disorder, borderline mm. personality disorder, it's like if I saw a toddler throwing a temper tantrum, I'd be like, okay, that's what a toddler does. Right. If I see a 45-year-old throw a temper tantrum and I've seen them do that in my office, it's scary. And you realize something wrong has happened, right? Some form of discipline has been denied this person. Because what discipline really does yeah. is it teaches a child about natural consequences when they're too young to understand them. That's good. Right? So when you're a child, you don't understand cause and effect yet. <clears throat> right? Absolutely. My daughter is always knocking things over and throwing them. And as an adult, you're like, how could you not understand <laughs> that pushing this glass is going to break it? Like, yeah. but it's because she doesn't understand cause and effect yet. Yeah. So even if she received a natural consequence, she wouldn't understand that it came from her action. Right. The discipline is there to make that connection. It's to show them, you did this and this is happening. Like a child that, you know, a two-year-old that's going to run out in the street. Right. And if you uh, grab them and <clears throat> swat them on the butt, then they know, they don't. They didn't understand that they're going to get hit by a car right. the next time, maybe not this time. Right. But they do understand that there's an effect for running out in the middle of the street. Exactly. And that's why it's good parenting to discipline immediately. Mm. Right. Not to say like your kid does something and oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. You know, like I got yeah. a busy day today. I'll get right. I'll discipline them because they don't know. They, they won't understand. No. They'll perceive that as abusive. So I guess a big question that a lot of parents would have is, number one, 
is physical discipline ever acceptable yeah. within the church? What do you guys think? You want to answer that first, Dave? No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Bible says it is. So the Bible says, spare the rod, um, what is it? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Spoil the child. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so I, I know that's been taken out of context. I know people have used it for abuse, but that's not what God's talking about here. Yeah. So it, it is talk, it, it's talking about that there is, at times, um, a, a purpose for that. Like I just said, with the two-year-old, mm -hmm. she's not going to understand if you pull her and say, now, honey. I'm going to have a logical conversation yes. with you about car dynamics and your body. <laughs> yes, yeah. and you're going to go flying through the air. So, yeah. But she will understand a little swat on the butt. Right. Now, I also think that that has to be, you know, age appropriate. I mean, I'm not going to spank my 18-year-old. My 15-year-old, right. I'm not spanking those. And I also think it has to be appropriate to their, like, to the level. There, there shouldn't be any hurting, like, physical pain caused by it. But the Bible clearly talks about it. And actually, there is, there's a, a verse in Proverbs that talks about um, the chest, or maybe it's Hebrews, about the chastisement. Yeah. Do you know which verse I'm talking about? It's Hebrews chapter 12, but yeah. he's quoting from the Proverbs as well, Proverbs yeah. 3. Yeah, and so, and I looked up what chastisement, and it, it actually is some physical pain. So the right. kid mm -hmm. comes to relate like a dangerous or a, a um, an ungodly behavior right. with that discipline. Again, but I want to say that not all kids respond to that. So some kids respond better to a timeout, but some form of discipline has to happen. Now, this is kind of a theory that I have rolling around in my head, and it could be totally wrong. <laughs> There's never been an experiment mm -hmm. done, to my knowledge. But one of the reasons why I believe that self-harm is on the rise in our country is because of a lack of physical discipline. And hear me out. So yeah. this is my theory. It could totally be wrong. This is yeah. Martin's theory. One of the reasons why I believe is huh. because physical pain is much easier to comprehend than emotional pain and suffering. Mm. And so what's supposed to happen as a parent is I'm teaching my child through physical pain. Now, like you said, it's more representative than anything. That's I'm not right. actually trying to hurt you. Okay. I'm just trying to represent your wrongdoing through an action that causes you discomfort. So a lot of like my physical discipline to my daughter right now is just kind of grabbing her mm -hmm. and saying no, like, and, and maybe squeezing a little yeah. in order to let her know like this is not correct at her age. That might progress into something more, but right now that's sufficient for sure. her. But the idea is that, again, I'm not trying to hurt her, but I am trying to help her understand emotional consequences that are way beyond her level of comprehension <clears throat> with a physical discomfort. Now, if that's removed from a child, in other words, the right connection is I learn to understand the more complex emotional discomfort through the easier to understand physical discomfort. But if I remove that from a child, a lot of times the reason why people self-harm is because they have emotional discomfort that they can't comprehend. That is and true. so they try to comprehend it through the physical discomfort, mm -hmm. uh, namely cutting on themselves. Now, is that theory correct? I have no clue, but I think that it's an interesting idea. Like it's something I've been rolling around in my head. And even if that theory isn't correct, there is something true about what you're saying. They, they derive some sort of pleasure about the physical pain. Right. So, I mean, it's fascinating to think that that could be true, though. So, Dave, with your kids, obviously, they're at the age where physical discipline is no longer appropriate. Yep. When, when did you know that, like, we're at the point where we need to start talking and the physical part of my discipline is over, right? It's, it's not going to work anymore. Well, <clears throat> honestly, I, because I, I mean, I, I spank my kids. Um, one, one thing I'll mention as well, because I think it kind of enforces what you were saying about, um, you know, God disciplining and chastening. Mm -hmm. 
I remember someone, a, a parent friend of mine said, oh, we, you know, we use a wooden spoon when we mm-hmm. hit our kids because mm-hmm. we want our kids to know that these hands are for love, you know. Mm-hmm. And I took that away and I realized, well, since when is discipline not love? That's you know, true. Like, why is it? Well, the wooden spoon does the discipline, but these hands are for love. You know, yeah, God's spoon's the bad guy. The bad guy, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that sounds good. But then I realized, no, it, you know, as you say, God, God disciplines and chastens anyone that comes to him. That's right. part of it, you know. Um, so I, I realized with my kids, if it's done in a loving way, and we would, you know, they would have, if, if they ever got spanked, it was their choice. Like they had got to the point where they, they choose to disobey and they know they were going to get a spank. Like mm-hmm. they'd always have a chance to not have the spank. And if it got to the spank, then they've really chosen that. And it would be, you know, come here, sit on the knee, this is where you're going to have a spank and spank and then talk through it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it was in that sense I felt loving. Um, but to be honest, it, it got to a point where the, the, the thought of the spank, you know, was, was so bad that the spanking could stop. Right. You know, um, probably, you know, a lot younger than just the threat, of, the threat of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think if I remember, it was That's like, true. hey, you need to stop doing that. If you don't stop is, you know, going to be maybe a count. I'm not too into counting, but three, two, one, then it's a spank. And it got to where it was like three. And then that was, <laughs> like, you done. know, they knew mm-hmm. if you're saying numbers, then pretty soon I'm going to be spanked. So. Yeah. So I guess in answer to your question, it kind of stopped a lot younger. So your kids now flinch at math. Is what yeah. You're <laughs> they Actually, they numbers. still. Yeah, they hear numbers. <laughs> yeah, they, they still do. Numbers. Funny you said that because the other day, I think as a joke, I that said three. So they were, I wanted them to go upstairs and get something. And I literally read three and they. Like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hateful number. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, you know, 12 and 14. But. No, no, no. But that's a really good point. And there's obviously like differences in temperament. I think that a problem that parents get into is yeah. assuming that every disciplinary tack that's going to work with every kid. Yeah. So I was like a really disrespectful and difficult kid to raise. So my right. parents had to actually be physical with me until I was like 10. Mm. But like my brother, Josh, he basically never needed to be physically disciplined Yeah. because he was just always very mature. He was always very understanding. And so when my parents disciplined him just verbally or through removing um, privileges, he would get it, right? I wouldn't get that. Right. I was too hard headed yeah. and stupid to get right. that. So it, it depends on your kid's temperament. And that also depends on how long you're going to utilize a particular form of discipline for mm. your child. Um, another thing that I try to point out to people. Yeah. But also, like, I mean, even if their temperament is like yours and it continues at, at some at point, age, yeah, it still needs to stop. Right. At a certain age, yeah. then again, the, the physical natural consequences have to start taking a, ma- a more large role well you can also start taking things away (laughs) and i mean we 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 also like use some of those and it also depends like you said um like like some kids um like like christian for example when he was three like i spanked him but then he was on steroids and he would want to hit back Mm. and i thought this is probably not good for him right Mm. so i had to do like i just had to sit and hold him in time out I had to sit him on my lap and we sat for three minutes yeah. and he was not allowed to go anywhere. And that was, that be- started becoming his discipline. Right. It was still physical, but it looked different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a big thing that a lot of people don't comprehend is, uh, so I'll, I'll say this one last thing and then we'll move into a last topic and then we could do questions because we're a little over time. Um, but a, a lot of things, something that a lot of people don't understand is where self-esteem comes from. Mm. You know, so when I was a kid, they used to give participation awards and they thought that that would uplift the self-esteem of my generation. Give them participation awards so that no one is a loser. 
and therefore they don't have any consequence for not practicing as hard or being as good huh. as the other team, and they'll feel better about themselves. Actually, the opposite is true. So when you get participation hmm. awards, the teams that earn an award don't feel like it means anything, and so they're not rewarded for their good behavior. And the team that doesn't work as hard, they know they lost. It's not like we're stupid. Like, I know this is not an award for winning. I know it's an award for losing. Yeah. So it actually makes me feel worse about myself than if I were to just get the consequence that's coming to me, which is losing, right? Not succeeding yeah. in the endeavor that I was in. So a lot of people think that self-esteem is produced <laughs> through affirmation. That's it. Constant affirmation. That's when it's going to give you uh, a particular boost of endorphins and energy and things like that. It's actually not true. Success is what promotes esteem, mm -hmm. right? So in other words, what you have to do in order for a kid to succeed, they have to have rules because every game has a rule. If you don't have rules, you have no success. So if I were to say, I want to play a game with you right now and I give you no rules and no confines to how the game looks, I say like, hey, we both win. That win means nothing to you because you discover success through rules, mm -hmm. through constraints, through boundaries. So you develop or harness a world for your child to function within. And then as they succeed, you reward them. And as they fail, they get certain consequences afforded to them, whether they be natural or disciplinary. So as a, as a child of God, we understand that in Christianity as well. Some Christians have taken this wrong by thinking that God's unconditional love means you don't have to follow the law, right? The hyper grace movement of, well, God doesn't really want you to change. He just accepts you as you are. Right. But that doesn't make people have greater self-esteem or understand the love of God better. If love's God, if God's love is on the cheap and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't respect any behavior, then there is no such thing as success within the Christian life. So what we have, and this is a perfect metaphor within parenting, you need to have unconditional acceptance, but not unconditional approval. So unconditional acceptance means that I accept my child no matter what, and I love them no matter what, but I want what's best for them. And they're worst enemy in life is going to be them, their own behavior, their own frailties and disorders, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to get that away from them as best I can, which means I have to discipline them, a targeted discipline to benefit my child. So once you understand that and you grow your child through this discipline and through the boundaries that you set around them, then as they grow, they realize, yes, my parent unconditionally accepts me, but I gain their approval by these right actions, by doing these correct things, and their disapproval through doing these bad things. Mm -hmm. right? So my parent is going to approve and disapprove of me. And we're built, we are built as human beings with that desire to not just have acceptance, but approval. Mm -hmm. We want to be, uh, we want to have our lives be approved by someone, not just accepted. So I think that that's a really interesting dichotomy in our culture where we think that acceptance equals esteem. Why is it that this generation, which has more acceptance than any other generation before us, is so depressed and doesn't feel like they're succeeding and they're suicidal? It's because we've removed all the boundaries that would give them a, a way to be approved of, which is really negative. So the final thing I want to talk to you guys about before we get to the questions is education. So I know that both of you have sent your children to private education. Do you think that there's... <clears throat> anything wrong with a, a Christian parent sending their kids to public school? Is that, is that a wrong behavior? Is that a bad behavior? And why did you choose private as opposed to public? Hmm. You get to go first. Do I get to go first this time? <laughs> uh, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with either way. I mean, I know, I know people who would say these Christian families that send their kids to public school, you're supposed to raise a child in the way they should go and that kind of, that kind of thing. And then mm -hmm. other parents who would say, 
Um, really, we should teach them what it's like to be in the world and be able to stand for their faith in all those things. So I really don't have a strong you know, standpoint on that. I know I feel very blessed to send my kids to a Christian school, and um, but it doesn't make them Christian <laughs> at the same time. I mean, they, they deal with the same things with their peers at school, the same kind of conversations. They learn about sex and all that stuff the same way from their peers. Mm. Um, just because the family of Christians doesn't necessarily I mean the kids are, just because you send them to one of the Christian schools in town. Mm. Um, so, but I, I certainly you know, wouldn't say it was wrong or being, you know, like you have to send your kids to Christian school. Mm. But you know, we are obviously commanded to raise our kids in the way they should go. So mm. you know, in your mind and the plan and your heart should be um, you should be uh, mindful about that, you know, why you're choosing public or private, and, mm. you know, and how that fits into you raising your, your children in the way they should go. So, yeah. Yep. Lisa. I would definitely say the culture we live in today is very different. Mm. And the public school, I went to public school, but the public school, and actually, like, I don't feel like it was good public school. It wasn't good uh, education, nor was it good moral training. That's a good point. They're not even good at educating. No, no, no. So um, the reason we chose our kids is we wanted it to be as close in line to what we were going to teach them. Hmm. And so, um, and you can't just, because the school is Christian, you can't take it for granted that it necessarily is teaching them those same values. You want to know what the, what their mission and vision, what the teachers believe, Hmm. and then you want to have your pulse in it anyway. So the that's the reason we chose the Christian school because we wanted to have them come alongside of us. Mm. Um, that's a that's a large portion of their time that they're being trained up. And if they're being trained wrong ideas, wrong morals, virtues, ethics in school, which I believe in, you know, some of the schools now that is going on, mm. and um, and it's almost uh, like a brainwashing. We wanted our kids to be critical thinkers. Mm. We wanted them to be able to um, look at an idea and and look at it against the Bible and say, is this true or is this not true? And I know for the the school that we chose to send our kids, um, it taught them those critical thinking skills. But looking at the way the school systems are going, and many of them are, I think that... um, I don't necessarily think that we should do it blindly. If you're going to choose a public school, you should really be involved in that to know what they're teaching your kids because they have a majority of their time. Mm. And so they are training your kids maybe in a way that you wouldn't want them to go. Now, again, you know, I agree with Dave that just because you send them to a Christian school, there's still kids there that aren't Christians and you know, um, they don't believe in that. So you still have to know what's going on and you still have to have a relationship with your kids. So whether you send them to public or to Christian school, it's critically important that you have a relationship and you've established it at a young age where they're talking to you about what's going on in school. And I, I put myself in a position where I was always volunteering at the school. So I was always driving. I was always having their friends over and listening to conversations. So I know what what is going on? That's the pulse that I'm talking about. Yeah. So we can't just blindly trust anybody to educate our kids. We yeah. have to be, um, we have to know what's going on. Which I think is, is a really good point mm-hmm. because I, I do believe that a lot of people, a lot of Christians and non-Christians have looked at school as kind of a substitute parenting yeah. of, I don't need to instruct my child on these things because the school will take care of it. And you know, as a pastor, they bring that ideology even into the church. Mm. I don't have to talk to my kids about God. I send them to I send them to the church. I send them to Sunday yeah. school. That's what they're supposed to learn about God. That's their job. 
Well, no, no, no. That, that doesn't abdicate your responsibility. Right. right. You are, are still the primary educator of your child. Right. And so you can't abdicate that to any institution, even if it is one that aligns with your values. So uh, great conversation. Let's, yeah. let's get into the questions, Dave. That's cool with you. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we sure can. I had a couple of comments, actually. Uh, Taylor commented. He said, I feel like private school potentially pays more attention to the kids than public school. So they're more guided by adults than by their peers. You know, I'm sure it's, that's hard to say across the board, but that's been my experience. But I'm kind of comparing my experience going to, a, you know, public school years ago in England right. to my kids going to school here. So, you know, obviously it's, it's not the most scientific experiment, but mm. I know I'm so blessed that the school my kids go to, the teachers love what they do. They love my kids. They love the Lord. They, you know, my kids are late coming out from school because they've gone to visit this other teacher they like, you know, right. which is like, you're late, but I kind of like that you have this, you know, relationship <laughs> right. at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, I find that to be true, Taylor, um, and certainly blessed by that. You know, it takes a village and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor had a question as well. Can you articulate why obedience to your, this is kind of a flip side, I guess. Mm-hmm. Can you articulate why obedience to your parents is important? What if the parent is a bad or immoral one? Is there still any benefits to it so really from the child perspective I yeah, guess I'll give a quick answer and I'll pass it over to you okay. so uh, in the Bible the, in the Ten Commandments it says honor your father and mother mm-hmm. so that it will be well with you and you could live in the land uh, and Paul the Apostle Paul comments on that and he says this is the first commandment given with a promise so in other words when God is giving them the commandments he only gives one that has a promise that the fulfillment of it will lead to prosperity and Paul points that out as significant And he's saying, if we can't respect the authorities that are placed above us, then we can't learn how to be integrated members of any society. So uh, Burke, William Burke, a really important kind of philosopher back in around the time of Rousseau, uh, who was arguing against the French Revolution. He said, we learn respect first through our parents and then through the civil authorities. And then hopefully we reason that up to God. Mm. Uh, But that's where we begin to learn about the concept that we're not to do whatever we want, but we're supposed to orient our lives in subjection mm-hmm. to the right authority within within us, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the ideal. Now, just because the ideal could be abused doesn't mean that the ideal is insignificant or wrong. So ideally, for instance, I should say that in an ideal marriage, the husband should lead and the wife should submit. Now, someone might come to me and say, well, there are abusive husbands that use that to dominate their wives. I'm like, true. But it doesn't make the, the, the ideal wrong. It just means that some people abuse it, mm-hmm. right? The, the ideal exists for a reason. So children submitting to their parents in the fear of the Lord, right, honoring their father and mother is the ideal. That's where you learn your respect. And if you don't learn respect, <clears throat> how are you going to submit to God if you can't submit to any of the authorities he's placed in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So Paul says about even the civil authorities in Romans 13. So I, I think that it's important to learn, but there are circumstances where those authorities are abused and then rebellion or outright uh, emancipation become important, right? This is even what the founding fathers of America believed, that there's times where the civil authorities can abuse their power and you should revolt against them. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true for parental authorities. There are times where they abuse their powers to such an extent that a child should revolt against their, their parents. But that's not the ideal. That's not what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And there has to be justification for that rebellion. It can't just be, oh, I don't like them, or they're not allowing me to be do what I want, right? That's not a correct reason. And any society that negates that or doesn't teach the importance of honoring your father and mother is a society that won't last very long. And I think that's what we're seeing. 
but anything to add or so i'm trying to understand his his question so Mm -hmm. the question was like should they obey um their parents if they're like wrongly treating them yeah if their parents are out to lunch basically Mm -hmm. um yeah, if if your parents are immoral or bad, you know, bad parent or so making decisions, should we still should children still submit? Yeah, so I think we should submit up until it goes against God. So if your parents are immoral and they're wanting you to do immoral things, yeah. then we should not submit to that. So it's it's basically what you're saying, and I think there's levels of that. So it's right. not necessarily emancipation. We go to that level, but um, I do think that you 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 do what's necessary to not participate in that, and sometimes. Sometimes you have to do also if you're if if you're now it depends like is this an adult that we're talking about then like you, you can still honor your parents and set boundaries like I'm not right. doing that you know so right. if it's if it's a, a a parent that's trying to have exert control over their kid and their kid's an adult that's a different story now if they're a kid I mean kids have to do what they need to do to be safe so. Um, I love what you said there because I, I think a lot of nuance gets lo- yeah. lost in conversations like this, both okay. with discipline for, from the parents of the child, but also for the child to obey their parents yeah. in Christian circles where we yeah. only know like what to do in extreme circumstances, but we don't know steps in between. Yeah. Right. So in the Marines, we call it escalation of force where mm-hmm. it's like you had to learn how to escalate force so that you're not always using lethal force. So a lot of the marital counseling that we do, right. all couples know is, okay, if this goes wrong, I divorce. But they don't know the steps that lead up to that big decision that could be sinful, yeah. right? They don't know how to stand up for themselves. They don't know how to set boundaries, like you said. They don't know how to say, if you do this, there will be consequences, maybe even lead to a separation, right? They don't know how to take those intervening steps. They only know how to go the whole hog. Mm. And a lot of kids don't know that either. They don't yeah. know, hey, there, there are things that your parents could do wrong that aren't so wrong that you need to jump to, well, they, they're terrible and moral and I need to get away from them. They've traumatized me. Right. Well, maybe they've just done something stupid and you can, in a respectful way, tell them that's wrong, mm-hmm. right? That's that's not smart. That's not correct. And do that in a respectful tone mm-hmm. as opposed to just disrespect. That's I'm not going to do it. Uh, and then, like you said, especially when you're an adult, learning how to do that is really important. Even if you have very good parents, yeah. you have to learn how to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that answer. Yeah, yeah very good. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm a single parent, single dad, and with my personality as well, it's, it's a temptation and easy for me to fall into like friendship, you know, with Mm -hmm. my kids. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of parents have talked about that. They kind of have a friendship kind of parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, you've talked, you you spoke about, you know, being available for your children to talk them through these things. Like, what does that look like? Um, friendship in parenting is there an age where you become a friend is that not good to be on a friend level you, you need to be a parent and they're your child mm-hmm. um is there any ways you've navigated that with maybe parents you've counseled well for me i can speak with me it's 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 fascinating how that has transitioned because um like when they were in high school uh you you're not their friend i i, I was still their parent however they were they talked to me on a different level than they would talk as a kid, a kid, they're not thinking things through, but I wanted to be available to talk those things through with them, like whatever they're struggling with. Um, but I, I would never say that I was a friend. Mm-hmm. I wasn't their friend because mm-hmm. I also wanted to retain um, that that authority and respect. Mm-hmm. But I actually was there to help them walk through anything that they needed to walk through. And they could trust me. 
um, to keep things confidential, except they knew unless it was to their detriment or somebody else's, then I that they knew they still right. had to trust me. But as they've moved out of college, so my last one just graduated last year, um, it is different. I am still their parent, but we can talk about things at a different level. And I would say this is where it becomes more where they still respect me as their mom. And I'm not going to share things that kids don't need to hear, like me and about me and Kevin and our relationship in terms of personal intimate details. That's that's not appropriate. <laughs> no kid wants you, that. <laughs> well, yeah. And you would share that with a friend, right? Right. So I wouldn't share that with my right. kids. But they are welcome to share any of their stuff. And I do share more now than I would have shared before, even about my own struggles. I mean, I, I started sharing that early on, but at an appropriate level. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think the way that I've understood it, which, again, great answer, is biblically there's this idea of phileo, of brotherly love. Yeah. And God has brotherly love. He, he says, I no longer call you servants, but friend. Does that mean that God ceases to be our Lord? No. So the concept biblically is that friendship love, that type of just, uh, not infatuation, but the, the type of just enjoyment of one another mm. and enjoyment of shared uh, experiences mm-hmm. and times and being able to uh, share in hobbies and, and likes with your kid, yeah. right? You can add that into a parenting relationship Absolutely. as long as it doesn't dissolve the hierarchy, right? So even as an adult, I still call my mom and dad, mom and dad. Now, one of the reasons why I've done that, I've made that decision for me is because it is a way that I denote that hierarchy still, mm. right? If I just called them Mary and Doug, it would be more like, oh, we're friends now, you know, like we're, we're equals, but we're not, you know, my yeah. parents are still my parents. I right. still respect their authority. I still respect the words that they're going to speak into my life more than just my buddy, you know, more than just an acquaintance. Yeah. Uh, that, that level of respect. And I, again, I think that the lack of titles within our culture is a disintegration of respect. I think that we represent respect through titles. So I, I think that's a very bad thing. Same with marriage, by the way. Uh, you could add friendship into a marriage, but if friendship becomes the basis of your marriage, it's not going to work, right? You need that romance. You need that passion. You need something other mm-hmm. than just we like to hang out with one another if you're going to make a marriage work. Right. Uh, so kids, yeah, you can you can incorporate a friendship aspect to your relationship, right. but you have to be very cautious that it doesn't negate the parental part of your relationship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm joking at levels where I can joke with them, but like I still I feel like there's a, a level that I, I have to maintain almost I wouldn't call it a professionalism, but a kind of a parent still. I still need to remember it's my job to hold the line on how far it goes. Like mm. if they're taking it into an inappropriate, it's my job as a parent to make sure that I'm leading them back. Or if they're talking about someone, it's, it's you know, and, and maybe this is too much, but it's to help them to understand this is this is coming into gossip. This is, you know, like I'm still training them as adults. Yeah. So I feel like I kind of help hold the boundaries still as adult as we move into a different kind of relationship, almost friendship. Yeah. I guess the hope is if you've, you know, done your role well, that they'll want to listen to you as, you know, as adults. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess I hold that with my parents too, to a certain extent at my age. Yeah. Still, I, I... I, there's a respect there, Absolutely. you know, as opposed to, well, I'm 18, you can't tell me what to do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you respect them 
no matter what age. Totally. You know? And, you know, I'm so grateful. My kids still call as adults and ask for advice. Yeah. They still trust that I'm going to give them good, godly, sound advice mm. and listen. And it's not that they don't ever get angry at with me. But one thing standard that I did set with them is that it always has to be respectful. They can disagree with me, but it still has to be respectful as I need to be respectful to them. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, we only have like a minute left, but real quick, how much should we make it a rule for our kids to go to church or does that change at an age? You know, yeah, like you will go to church as long as you're in my house, that kind of. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of falls under the category of different stages of parenting. Mm. Uh, but what do, you, what do you think about that? Different stages of the kids development. Well, I'm thankful that we didn't have to do that. So like part of like our kids, they, they, they just went because we went, but that also can, you can make kids. And they they have to understand that their relationship with God and Jesus is not dependent on yours. Like, in other words, they have to have their own relationship. Right. So we never had to force our kids, but I know that some people have had to. And I'm not really sure what happens with all of those cases. But in some of those cases, I think there's been a breakdown somewhere along the way. Yeah. So either where the parents, the way the parents viewed church, the way the parents viewed or displayed their view about the love of Jesus and the way they love Jesus and that love relationship where it it was like now a chore. Right. So some there was a breakdown somewhere. Um so what you do about it there's different 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 people have different answers to that. Yeah, I don't think there's a one size fits yeah. all. Yeah. Be interesting to do a study on how kids were raised as far as you know how but I think church was compulsory and see how that I think them. it really does make a difference in how was it compulsory for you did you was it just like something you went to and then you acted like somebody else all the other six days yeah or was this they saw the love that you I had gotta cut Jesus. you off I'm sorry we're out of time Lisa Keller thank you Peter <laughs> mine God bless you we'll see you tomorrow you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.